My next guest is Sammy Arnold. He spoke to me on his birthday, which was at the start of lockdown. At the time, he was still a monster player, but he has now moved to Connacht, as you've probably seen. You'll remember Sammy Arnold because he played for Ulster, having chosen us over Harlequins because he wanted to play at centre for Ireland, which he did, by the way. He made his debut for Ulster at the age of 18 and won the Academy Player of the Year award that season. After moving to Munster, where he again picked up the Young Player of the Year award, his performances were so good they earned him an Ireland call-up and he got his first cap against the USA. Remember, Sammy's only 24 and I'm sure he'll tear it up for Connacht and win a little more Ireland caps before he's done. Anyway, here's the interview. I started off with my usual question about what made him so passionate about rugby. Um, so I was born in kind of Red Hill, which would be kind of southeast London. And when I was five, we moved out into the country, just into kind of like a small village, kind of more rural area. And my neighbour at the time was a coach down the local rugby club, and we went round there um, just to kind of meet them for tea and and, and have a chat and obviously welcome us kind of to the village. Um, and I ended up playing rugby in the back garden with his son and him just messing around. And he said to my mum, look, why don't you bring Sam down to the rugby club? Um, other than that, I hadn't played any sport. And I think if that didn't happen, mate. I don't think I would have played rugby. I think I would have played uh, football. Because yeah. uh, I kind of tossed and, and turned between the two of them until I was about 14 or 15. And then I had to make a real firm decision. Yes. Yeah. Were you, were you good at football as well? Is that something that you thought actually you could pursue this sort of longer term or is that just it happened to be the area you were brought up in was more into football or was that ever a serious consideration for you? Yeah, I think the area would have been more football initially where yeah. I was born and stuff like that. Um, I grew up sporting Crystal Palace and um, I'd had kind of trials for like premiership teams but I never really made the cut. I'd always get the trial but not made the cut played uh, kind of county football but never pushed on. I had a few friends in like the Gillingham and the Fulham academies but I never kind of managed to get it to that level. So that's when I sort of thought, you know, I'm going to switch to rugby and, and give that give that a, a proper go and uh, thankfully I did and that's sort yeah. of how it happened. Yeah, and see when you're at school, like, was there a moment that you realised, you obviously stood out at school, you must have must have been a moment where you thought, I'm actually good enough to make it as a, as a professional, potentially. Is there a specific moment or is it just sort of a growing realisation? You're sort of making all the top teams and you're like, oh, I might actually have a go at this. Uh, I think once I got to kind of 15, 16, once I got to 15, 16, and I had a scholarship to Cranley, which would have been the yeah. big rugby school. And there were kind of guys that I was friends with a year or two above me and they were getting academy contracts. And um, when I entered my lower sixth year, which would have been 16, I sort of had, I had a plan A and I didn't have a plan B. I was studying my A-levels and I was was never really academic. It was always either, if I'm being honest, it was rugby or, I don't know, probably a trade job or a carpenter or an electrician. My stepdad's an electrician. My dad's a surveyor. We didn't come from big um, kind of studying degree backgrounds. So if I didn't... uh, play rugby that's probably what I would be doing so I always had a plan A but I uh, luckily I didn't need a plan B for now anyway um, yeah, that day yeah. Not, not yet hopefully uh, yeah I know it's uh, I've spoken to a number of players and I suppose 
part of that is what drives them on is, is sort of they put all their eggs into one basket they they sort of decide early on like this is what i'm going to do and the fact that maybe they don't have i spoke to is adam mcburney who i'm sure you overlap with him at Ulster. He's sort of saying that he didn't want to do anything else like uh he deliberately sort of put all his eggs into that basket so that he knew that if he failed at that then it'd be stuck so is that something which motivated you and drove you on you're like right i i have to i've really committed to this now i have to make it was there a big pressure on yourself then to to succeed my definitely the biggest kind of influence for me growing up was my mum um she would like she had said like she would have done all the driving and everything like that and she would have been a massive kind of encourager and she'd always say to me as long as you're enjoying it and you're trying the best you can and you're doing your best i will drive you anywhere but yeah. if that stops then you have to tell me yeah, um, yeah sort of pushing and rooting for me for going for plan a and and just giving it everything um so i suppose that yeah that's amazing because it's probably a really rare thing that someone's mum would would back them in such a, a ruthless profession <laughs> where so many people make it to maybe academy stage and then get spat out by the system and to back you in that is amazing. It's a fair play there and it must must be amazing to have a mum like that. But um mine's very good as well, but uh I never had a chance of making it. <laughs> so it wasn't an issue. <laughs> but um yeah, and, and see growing up, you're saying about supporting Crystal Palace. Um was there in rugby terms, well, I'm into football as well, actually. So I'm interested to know who your sort of sp- sporting heroes were growing up. Um I know Crystal Palace have had their ups and downs, but uh, in terms of both rugby and football, is there anyone you really idolised or looked up to in, in, in either sport? Uh, growing up from the Crystal Palace, I'd have enjoyed kind of Wilfred Zaha. He'd have been kind yeah. of a player I enjoyed watching when I was younger. Um, yeah. And then rugby, it would have been kind of your standard Driscoll's, Wilkinson's, them kind of fellas that were just kind of a, a cut above the rest and they're the ones you sort of notice when you're, yeah. When you're young. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would probably I, I like how you strategically choose one English, one Irish there. <laughs> Grow, growing up, was it was it a case where you twicking them? Were you watching games or? Yeah, I would have gone to the England games now and again. There's, there's, uh, that's not, I definitely would have done that. Um, I went to a few games at the Stoop with Harlequins when I was younger. Um, my dad would be very kind of patriotic English. English fella and uh, my mum would be very very Irish so there's kind of a bit of a, a contrast there my dad always jokes around saying why didn't you play for England instead of Ireland or Harlequins instead of Munster kind of them things yeah um, there, there definitely would have been that kind of split allegiance I suppose but I think what the deciding factor for me was my mum had the biggest influence on my rugby career and my mum's my parents as well so for me my mum was the one doing the driving and putting in the effort and it became more of kind of like a purpose to do it for both of us kind of thing, I suppose, and, yeah, and make yeah. it like that. So that would have been it. So, so do a repair for all that support, you, you you opted for Ireland then? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's amazing because um, it's, uh, it's great to have you yeah, and we've got such strength and depth now at centre. Like there's so, many, there's so many tough choices there. When, and going forward, that will that will only increase because, as you know, at all the provinces, good, good young guys like, like your like yourself and uh, at Ulster as well. There's a few guys coming through as well. But I want to go back a wee bit to um, you had that decision, I suppose, whenever you 
uh, were what would have been what age would you have been like uh, nineteen or so? Going going to Harlequins and the option was maybe on the table there to go there and potentially play in a different position. Tell me a bit more about that and and the, the decision that you, you came to and, and why you, you opted to to join us over here. Oh, the, uh, yeah, uh, so what eventually would have been. I would have been 18, I would have been 18. just 18. Um, I had an option to stay in England and play with Harlequins in the academy, but as a scrum half, um, they'd sort of signed a few lads a year. In my year, they signed Joe Marchin as the academy centre. And then above him, they'd signed, a year above him, they'd just signed a fellow for the academy called Harry Sloan. So they weren't really looking to recruit in the midfield. Yeah. So they said, hey, look, we do want to sign you, but we want to try and sign you as a scrum half and develop you as a scrum half. So I played my second year at school, uh, my first year at school, sorry, as a scrum half. And then my second year, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I went back to centre. Um, but that whole time I was involved with the exiles and I sort of knew that I wanted to come over to Ireland and I was always going to come over to Ireland regardless. Um, that was just the way it kind of worked out. Yeah, yeah. And and see in terms of the positional change as well, like you'd played a bit of both. What made you what made you sort of reject the, the scrum half option on why is it that centre is the is the position for you? Is there something about it that's supposed to be more physical and getting stuck in, getting more opportunity to maybe express yourself and get your hands in the ball? Do you know in an in an attacking yeah. sense? What was it about centre appealed to you? I think as a centre sort of like you're at the forefront of of pretty much everything. Um, attack wise, you're usually involved kind of first phase, and defence wise, you, if you're at 12, you're involved first phase, or sometimes even at 13. So you kind of you have a massive impact on the game, and it's something I really, really enjoyed. Now, scrum half, obviously, you have a big impact in the game, but it's different. It's kind of more tactical, I suppose, a bit more thinking involved, I guess. Um, whereas I involved kind of, I enjoyed that kind of confrontational side of the game and also that chance to kind of get the ball in my hands in a bit of space and, and, and use kind of my athletic ability. And it's something that I just really, really enjoyed. Um, and um, it's a decision I'm, I'm really glad I, I backed myself when I went for because there was times when I was playing scrum half and I, was, I just wasn't really enjoying it and I knew it probably wasn't really the, the right place for me. Yeah, because you're you're constantly having to avoid contact. In fact, if you do get scragged or tackled, you're like your team's in trouble. It's like where's this? Where's he gone? Right out center. Like you seem to have quite a a physical, abrasive style. Love the big hits and things like that. So obviously, center is something that you might might have been a bit wasted in in its scrum half. Um, uh, but in, say in terms of joining Ulster, like you you obviously been uh, not the blue too much smoke, but You'd obviously been earmarked as as a very talented young player. Um, who made the approach to you to join Ulster? I suppose there there probably is various options for you. Obviously, Harlequins being one of them. Um, in terms of joining Ulster, like number one, why why Ulster specifically, and also what was it like whenever you actually joined Ulster? Was there was there a good atmosphere? Was there people putting their arm around you, or, or was it like who's this who's this young guy from England who just Arrived then. Um, Ulster were kind of the team that showed the most kind of interest, and they were they seemed really genuine, and they wanted what they kind of felt was best for me. Uh, it would have been Alan Clark and and Kieran Campbell. Um, I went over with my with my mum, and I went over with my um, 
director of rugby from my school who would have been Andy Houston and he, and we had a good chat and they kind of um they they really sold it to me and I really enjoyed it um and the thing I kind of liked about Ulster initially was kind of obviously I was English I, I grew up in England but there was that England Ireland collect uh, connection with Ulster as well um, which I thought was quite nice and it probably made that transition for me a, a, a lot easier yeah. um, and uh, I look back on my time there with massive fondness mate I, uh, I've got some really really good friends there that I, I made for life and um, they're some of the best people up there that I've, I've interacted with in my rugby career they're, they're awesome fellas that's great to hear. You know your audience anyway, because uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's um, it's great that you had that experience coming in. People being welcome, and I suppose you had a lot of guys in that team. It was sort of we had a sort of a, a transition there, as you know, about two two seasons ago. A lot of the older, uh, older not old guys, but sort of older members of the squad either either moved on or retired. You're talking. Uh, Andrew Trimble, Tommy Bow, uh, Pinar, unfortunately, everyone was gutted about that. But and uh, equally with the other guys, gutted they had to leave us as well. But was there anyone in particular who like took you under their wing, or was it the case of you're fighting for your place and uh, very much left to your own devices? Or yeah, what, what was the? I suppose Rory Best as well as another. Obviously, he's not your position, but is there anyone sort of who who took took on that? not mentorship role, but who uh, who guided you and welcomed you, especially at Ulster? Uh, yeah, I would have been, the fellow that would have guided me the most probably would have been Jared. Like for a fellow that was a lot older than me, I'd have actually had a very, very good relationship with him uh, on and off the field. So he kind of would have been the fellow that would have kind of guided me and, and helped me out after training. And we just had good chats and kind of had the crack and mess around with each other. Um, also, Lukey and Stu, the Luke Marshall and uh, Stu McCluskey, they are fellas that I would have obviously competing with, but they're probably two of the my closest friends in the squad as well. So it was, that was that was nice. Um, I still speak to Lukey and uh, uh, Stu a lot. Um, I did a fundraiser a few months ago for a family in Limerick, and Lukey actually donated his bed sets and cupboards and stuff for them. So we, we still speak now and again. Um, that that main kind of mentoring role for me would have been Jared, definitely. Um, and I sort of liked the way the way Jared did it when when he came when he came through. Obviously in Super Rugby, um, he, he couldn't quite get his foot in the door in Super Rugby with the All Blacks, and he came over here, um, said roll the dice, took a risk, um, put his foot down with Ulster, and went on to play for Ireland in the Lions. So I, I really liked that um, kind of that stubbornness and that kind of um, that grit, that grit and kind of determination in him. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's gone on to obviously coaching role, and I think a lot of the guys still would say that like he's he's a huge influence behind the scenes and sort of seemed to coach a lot as he played almost anyway, and then he's just he's transitioned now permanently into that role. Unfortunately, it's, he's too young to retire, but that's another story. In terms of uh, your time at Ulster, very glad to hear it was enjoyable. Obviously. Uh, a lot of competition there. Tell me a wee bit about what prompted you to move to Munster then. Obviously, we're very sorry to see you leave, but um, you've gone on to, seemed like a, a great decision because you've gone on to achieve a lot, uh, both there and and also getting into the Ireland scene as well. So what, what actually prompted that decision to move move down to Munster? Um, I think I had a good chat with my, my agent, had a good chat with me at the time, and we just kind of looked at the kind of initial horizon of the fellows above me and um, that season there was Stu, 
Lukey, Jared, Stuart Alden, KV and myself. So there was five international midfielders above me um, at the time. So as a player, the, the only decisions you can make are the ones that are straight straight in front of you. You can't you don't have a crystal ball where you can see the future and yeah. predict you can only make decisions based on what's the right thing for you at the right time. And for me, the right thing at the right time was to move elsewhere where there was, I felt, a cleaner pathway, more opportunity and um, a chance for me to develop. Now, in hindsight, looking back, as much as I love love it down here as well, things did then open up in Ulster, so it's funny how things worked out. Um, but it was, I think at the right time, it was 100% the right decision. It was definitely the right decision. And um, that's all you have at the time is is that kind of initial horizon in front of you and you have to make the right decision for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the timing just wasn't wasn't great. You're a guy who was obviously recognised as being very talented and won that sort of young player of the year in the academy at Ulster and obviously earmarked for big things. So I think a lot of people were gutted to see you leave and there have been, there've been a number of occasions at Ulster where, where guys have... Uh, have left and, and gone on to achieve amazing things elsewhere. So, um, t- obviously, you moved down to Munster and almost immediately had this setback in terms of injury. Tell me a bit more about that, about the the psychological strain that puts on you whenever there's this, you know, new beginning. You go down, you're you're full of hope and expectation, and you're you're struck with this huge setback. Tell me a bit more about like how that setback, and this is a theme of various interviews, where setbacks have actually gone on to motivate people to achieve greater success, to go on to, to really good things, because um, they've been through, they've come out the other side, they've been through a really tough time, but um, they've, they've had that stubbornness to achieve. T- tell me a bit more about that and, and what your initial reaction was and perhaps how that changed over, over, over the time that you were rehabbing. Yeah, I think, like you said, the initial kind of, there was so much hope and expectation. And I was at that age where, if I'm being completely honest with you, everything that happened for me in Ulster seemed to come off for me. I didn't really have any setbacks or, or anything like that. Um, I, I was progressing and really nicely and I everything looked like it was on a smooth transition up, I suppose. And then, like you said, that hope and expectation and then to go down and um, know that I was gone for kind of the first four or five months of the season... Um, was really tough in a new kind of area where you didn't didn't know anyone or you were trying to settle in and the way you obviously earn respect and stuff from your peers is by training and them seeing that you're good enough to be there and that you can compete so that was the the toughest part and then um, kind of coming back I had to play a bit of uh, club rugby for a few months which was tough again because my knee didn't feel right and it took me a while to it took me until actually that April. I did it in the the July, the summer before, and it took me until around April the following year to start feeling a hundred percent again. Um, and then in between that, I did a medial strain on my other knee, and I did my ankle. So I remember just thinking, "This is yeah. horrendous. This is a nightmare." Um, I think if I was in a place where I was comfortable and I knew everyone, it would have been a lot easier. But I think the fact I was in a new environment, I didn't really know anyone. Um, it was it was hard, man. It, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It was really hard. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. And see, um, in terms of that sort of psychological side of the game, apart from injury, which is obviously a huge strain on you psychologically, you have to battle through that and show resilience. And you're talking about 
the likes of Jared Payne as an example of someone who who's who's resilient. Uh, number one, number one, because he he came to Ireland and ended up, as you say, playing for Ireland in the British Lions, maybe having not got the breakthrough that he wanted back home. Um, but for you, in terms of the psychological side of the game, there's a, an enormous amount of pressure put on players. Like you're performing in front of thousands of people. Is that something that you thrive on naturally, or is that something are you? Are you crapping yourself before every game? Because I've heard different responses to that question. Like, I I know, see if a high ball was put up to me in front of a bunch of people, <laughs> even if it was 10 people, <laughs> I wouldn't do too well. But when it's thousands of people, is that something you're aware of? Or do you, are you someone who just naturally gets in the Zoom and you have that competitive mindset where you're just like, right, I'm in the Zoom uh, and I'm going to ignore all these external factors? So that's a very long-winded question, but... Um, tell me a bit more about sort of how, how you cope, how you cope psychologically with the, the pressure of playing rugby. I think um, it's something that you kind of get you you get used to it after match after match after year after year, and it takes it takes time. Definitely, I remember my when I made my debut in the in the Pro Twelve at the time against the Dragons away, and I was fully cacking my pants. I could, I didn't really want to go on the pitch. I was so nervous. And I actually probably couldn't tell you anything that happened in that game whilst I was on the pitch. I had to look back on the video to realise. Yeah. Um, it was the same when I made my kind of European debut for months. I remember walking down the tunnel and having a look up and going, oh shit, there's actually quite a lot of people here. Um, but as you kind of become accustomed to that level and you start to realise that, yeah, look, I am good enough to be here. Um, you sort of get used to it. And, it's the kind of the little hiccups along the way that oh, I've, I've done that wrong before and I've come out the other side of it or I've played well in that match before. I can definitely play well in this match. So it just takes time to build it up. It, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, and you just get, you just, you do just get used to it eventually. And then before you know it, you're running around and you, you, people could be abusing you from the, from the crowd and you wouldn't even hear it. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing that you can just shut, shut that side of your brain off and you, you're, you've got the blinkers on. I think, um, that's one of the things that separates players out that they some really thrive on that they 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 enjoy hearing the uh the abuse from the crowd because it spurs them on you see a lot of footballers especially whenever they score the goal they run over in the silence the opposition fans because that's what motivated them to do that but uh but i've heard other guys like yourself it's just really you've got the blinkers on and you're just in this the zone you're in a state of like flu uh sort of read about that that whole idea of flu you're in this mindset and is that something do you get help with like do you, is there a sports psychologist down there who sort of helps you with that because i'm always shocked that ulster we actually don't have an in-house sports psychologist don't know what it's like with other teams but do you have some help and guidance around sort of the psychological side of things how to get get in that mindset yeah we have a a psychologist that comes in who used to work with, with the South African national team. So he sort of gives lads kind of processes and stuff like that. But again, there's not kind of one hidden formula that you go, you do this, you're not going to be nervous and you're not going to make mistakes. It's more about just becoming accustomed to it and, and dealing with it. In terms of me, I'd have a, a woman I speak to off the field and she would be my kind of personal sports psychologist. I'd like to keep that separate from... Um, the the actual rugby environment and that can be anything just to to you know you did this in the game and you reacted like this or your body language and things like this and yeah. just touching up on little things and um, trying to stay on top of it yeah yeah I'm always shocked more players don't do that like 
because uh, it's such a hugely psychological game and there are guys who go out of form for periods of time and you're just like it's the same player what's happened and um yeah i'm always shocked more people don't do that so it's interesting that you sort of sought that um that support for from uh, outside um i want to talk a wee bit about um the ireland team now and like what it was like to get that, that, that cap and and to be on the scene how much did that mean to you to, to actually make that giant step and, and play play for Ireland, which obviously had been an ambition for some time and it was the whole reason for you moving back. What, what did it mean to you? What were the emotions like whenever you, you actually got out onto the field? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, really, it really was, you know, it's, that was something that I'd worked to for pretty much my whole kind of career. So to get that kind of, that recognition for that was, was massive and, um, it's a day that I'll remember for the rest of my life, definitely. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's it's one of those things that you can always say you've done, and I'm sure there'll be many more caps along the way. Um, but to to have been in that position, I know it's only you're at the outset of that now, I suppose, in terms of gathering up caps, and it's a case of getting back to playing rugby for first of all, and and then to to getting getting some good form up with Munster whenever we start back. But that must have been amazing to to to, to play in that game. So that was against the States. I was at that game. I remember it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's great to have uh, have that much competition in it in its centre as well. For just for, from a, a fan's perspective, it's a lot of guys pushing each other, and I'm sure that motivates you as well as a, as a player. Like you, know, you see all these guys vying for that 13 spot. And um, on that note, like what what are your rugby playing ambitions now with both Munster and Ireland? Like, what do you see yourself doing, or what have you have you written down any goals or ambitions that you have? Um, I thought about this kind of a lot recently and I said the one thing for me that I'd like to get out of my career, if anything, the one thing I want is just to discover what my ceiling is. Yeah. That's it. My ceiling is a one cap international. Then at least I know when I retire that that was my ceiling and I did absolutely everything and that was just how good I was. Um, so that's for me. I don't want to be kind of 50 and sitting on a bar stool at a pub drinking pints being like, oh, I wonder if I took a risk here or, or rolled the dice there if something better would have come of it. I'd rather be kind of retired by the time I'm 28, 29 and know I probably wasn't quite good enough for this level or that level or I'd put my hands up and go, yeah, I was good enough. So that's, that, that's kind of something that fires me on, just discover what my ceiling is and um, my kind of day-to-day process would be just get better every day. And if you just get better every day, then eventually that'll take care of itself. Yeah. And is there, it sounds like you're quite into sort of self-improvement and, and looking to add that extra edge. Is there stuff that you read or listen to? In terms, I wouldn't be one of these fellas that would have kind of these weird kind of things to do and, and stuff like that. I know a few boys would be kind of big meditators in the morning. They think it kind of clears their mind and stuff like that. Um, for me personally, it would just be everything I do throughout the day, attack it with 100% energy and um, and do my extras, do my extras to the best of my ability. I'll, I'll, tr- I'll plan kind of the the week, maybe on a Sunday, is what I usually do. And I'll do, I'll do extras this day, I'll do these extras that day. On Thursday, I'll do small extras. On Friday, I won't do any extras and I'll play Saturday. So that's kind of the main thing for me. I wouldn't have these kind of real out there, kind of strange, bizarre things. I do a bit of reading. I like the. Uh, I do a bit of reading on the Stoics. I really kind of enjoy that kind of stuff. Ryan Holiday and um, yeah. them kind of things. Um, 
I think John Cooney really enjoys them, them that kind of yeah. stuff as well. <laughs> that too is going to is going to use him as an example of someone who's into all these things. So um, it's worked for him, in fairness. But everyone has their own their own way of of motivating themselves and and bettering themselves. And um, say in terms, uh, sort of one of the last questions going to ask you is like. You obviously have to to make it at international level. You have to have a bit of an X factor to your game. What would you say? What's what type of player are you? What is it that you try and add, which is a bit different to everyone else? Whenever you play for for both Munster and Ireland, what are you looking to bring to the game that will will make uh, the previously Joe Schmidt and now Andy Farrell sit up and go right? Sammy Arnold's our, our new thirteen. Yeah, I think for me when. For me, when I'm at my best is when I'm, uh, I'm getting the ball in my hands and I'm using my footwork and I'm having a go and I'm looking for them, them kind of offloads and I'm, and I'm real dangerous. And like you said, I'm kind of flowing. Um, that for me, and if I'm being completely honest with myself, I don't think I've shown that yet. I think if I had five gears, I think I've maybe shown third gear and I know there's another four or five in me. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting the minutes to kind of put them together, string of games and and continuing to develop, to develop, and know eventually I will show them levels. Yeah. Um, and it's just about doing everything I possibly can to to get there. And I think that would be my X factor. That would be my X factor. My X factor. The ball in hand, um, yeah. my footwork, going at the line, um, and looking to offload. I think that for me, that's for me when I'm at my best. Yeah, and, and say in terms of reaching those fourth and fifth gears, like is there anything in particular you think's holding you back is it a case of confidence or is it i know you've had sort of a bad injury so it takes a while to come back and get confidence back after that you're never quite sure uh you don't want to put too much strain on your knee for example um but is there anything in particular you put your finger on to say look that's maybe hold me back at the minute or is it just a case of getting more minutes more experience uh i think i've had i think for the last three seasons i've been pretty much injury free if I'm being honest with you. For the last three seasons I had one hamstring strain and I had a fractured my leg last season which kept me out for about eight or nine weeks. But other than that I've been relatively healthy. And when I've played my best rugby, which would have been the 2017-18 season, that's when I played my best rugby. I had um I think I had 17 starts that season. And um I feel like I'm at my best when I'm playing not every single week but I'm playing consistently and I'm getting that run of form and I get my rhythm and I get my flow. I personally, as a player, find it very hard to play one week here, one week there, one week here, one week there. Yeah. I prefer to hold out every week for 30 weeks. I think that's when I'm, when I'm at my best and when I get my robustness. And um, I think I play my best, my best footy when I do that, definitely. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's what I'm aiming for. And, and to do that, I've got to be playing the best. Um, I've got to get my foot in the door somehow. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to do and uh, I plan to do. Yeah, I, I suppose this will be a, a big period for players uh, being off for, and we don't know how long rugby will be off for, but the difference maker will be who's working hard at the minute. Whenever we come back, whether it be sort of July or September or whenever it is, it'll be the guys who have been grafting this whole time. They'll come back and hit the ground running. And um, you know, I've seen you play a lot, both for uh, mainly, mainly for Munster, and as you say, that amazing season where he got that that Young Player of the Year award for Munster. I think it was twenty eighteen as well. Um, 
and I'm sure you'll have many, many more Iron Caps in you, um, which I look forward to seeing. And it's sort of finally, finally, um, I know we're talking about it at the very start, but plans for, and it's a, it's a long while off now, all being well, but the plans for after rugby, have you thought about transitioning out of the game or what you might like to do um, after? Or are you preparing anything? Um, I know we had that kind of chat earlier, a bit of a visit, well, one about my hobby outside dogs, yeah. uh, outside his dogs. Be, um, I've looked at a few kind of lines of work within that, um, maybe training kind of protection dogs and selling them to the services or selling them to kind of families that are at high risk. That's something that would really interest me. Yeah. And because I've been since I was young, I'd feel like I, uh, I, I could definitely kind of do it. Um, like I said, for me personally, if after rugby, if I have my house paid off, I have enough money in my pocket, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy, to be honest with you. I don't need a lot. Uh, yeah, that you, for me, that would be the dream. Yeah. Um, and do you love playing rugby? Like, is that something you're, you're really enjoying at the minute? I'm sure there's ups and downs to it. Is it just like a dream come true? or <laughs> Not to get too soppy about it, but is it like, is it as good a lifestyle as it looks like you're being paid, paid to play with your mates? It is, mate, it is, yeah. There's ups and downs and there's kind of positives and negatives to every kind of job in life. But you've got to kind of take it, take a step back and uh, look at it with a bit of gratitude, to be honest. Like, I'm playing rugby and I'm doing what I love and I'm making a living, you know. Yeah. There might be a few that kind of throw a few comments here or there and, and stuff like that or a few injuries and stuff like that. But you're going to get there wherever you go anyway. Um yeah. But mate, to be honest with you, there's there's no job I'd rather be doing in the world. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so good to hear. Um, so someone who's super ready or someone be so positive about their job. But that's uh, good to hear. And it sounds like the job you're thinking of after rugby's class as well. It'll be a dream job training dogs because uh, I'm a big big dog person myself. So do you use the wee clicker? Do you for tra- do you know for training dogs? Is that the best way? I've got a few clickers. Yeah, that would be kind of the. The puppy stuff, and then once you get a few levels up, you start doing the. It's a sport called Schutzen. It's like a German sport, so you do the obedience and the tracking and the protection stuff. So the yeah. obedience stuff. When you see the kind of weird people walking around with the dogs glued to their legs, and they don't yeah. need that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> really enjoyable, mate, and it kind of stimulates the dog. And yeah. it's what I personally believe the dogs are made for. They're working dogs. So yeah. I love it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's I. I need. I'm just working on getting my dog to sit at the moment. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so respect for being able to, to have it for having the patience, because uh, I certainly don't like. But uh, she's we call her spaniel, and she's only like nine months, but she should be able to do some stuff by now. <laughs> she's a nightmare. But uh, yeah, that's that's always going to ask you. But thank you so much for your time. Massive happy birthday, and. Um, I hope the rest of the evening's fun and you get to celebrate a wee bit and you, you take you, you, you let the diet go for a bit and enjoy yourself. Right on the PlayStation now, mate. Good man, good man. <laughs> something, something enjoyable. Well, not hold you back from that. And uh, yeah, thanks again. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Cheers, That's Peter. Great. Cheers, Sammy. Okay, bye.